Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. It's good to be back with you. Uh, it's been a few weeks. Things have been absolutely crazy. Uh, we have a lot of end-of-season content, been writing a lot of features uh, for the uh, upcoming issue of the magazine. And it's all online today, our MLB Player of the Year story, our MLB Rookie of the Year story, a whole bunch of other pieces of side content, including runner-ups, all MLB team, all rookie teams going up tomorrow. Uh, so I've been busy at work uh, doing all that. And Jeff has held down the fort here on the podcast with Josh Norris. And uh, Jeff, I appreciate it. It's It's been a little while. I have to say, I was starting to feel a little like, man, I left and uh, Jeff shacked up with, with someone else, with Josh. <laughs> yep. You know, we got to fill the void, man. <laughs> I was lonely. I, I needed somebody to talk to about baseball through the airwaves. So I shacked up with Josh, but yes, and JJ this week. So I've just been rotating around over the last couple of weeks. Bill Mitchell was on our podcast a couple of weeks ago. So just been uh, trying to keep everybody up to date on, you know, what's been happening from week to week in MILB and we'll continue to probably with AFL. But um, I know for me, this is one of my favorite times of the year where you can kind of wrap up on the MILB side of things and the MLB side of things is kind of, in my opinion, really been put into, you know, high gear, the new playoff format, more teams are involved, longer series, uh, for what that's worth, for me, it's more playoff baseball, more games. I love being able to hone in on this. Uh, like I said, we're doing the wrap-up of the MILB stuff. There's nothing to pull my attention away from it, so I can just sit here and I can watch playoff games all day long for the next uh, few weeks. I'm really excited about it. And I know, Kyle, it's your passion. It's what you're probably most excited about as well. Yeah, absolutely. Like I said, this was uh, the perfect time to come on back, wrapped up all of our end-of-season Major League features, and we're here today to break down everything that happened during the 2022 season, as well as look ahead to the 2022 postseason. Jeff, to start off with just kind of looking back, and again, it's fresh. We're a day out of the regular season, but I, I want to take a step back, just big picture view. I think it's really, really, really important to appreciate just how remarkable this 2022 season was, how many exceptional performances we saw. And, you know, I feel like, again, 
social media age, especially Twitter, everything's a fight. You know, everyone's just going at each other's throats. This was better. This guy was terrible because we're trying to prove a point that this was amazing or this isn't. Everyone's just so jaded. Some of that's life bleeding into uh, our baseball discussions. But I think it's important to take a step back and just, again, what we saw this past season was flat out remarkable. I mean, just going down the list, Aaron Judge breaking the American League home run record, getting to 62. He led the majors in eight different categories, runs, homers, RBIs, walks, on base percentage, slugging percentage, OPS plus, total bases. I mean, this was one of the best seasons of the last 15 years at least. And really, you could argue it's one of the best seasons of all time when you consider breaking the American League home run record, coming within five points of winning a batting title, leadingly in eight different categories and doing it all while playing center field primarily. Um, again, what he did alone would have made this a remarkable season. Then you added Shohei Otani, who finished 10th in the majors in OPS and 5th in ERA. Just think about that. This guy was one of the top 10 hitters in baseball and one of the top five pitchers in baseball. I just chose those two, those two stats. You could pick any combination you want. And it just goes back to, you know, after last year, the question was, hey, this was amazing. Can he do it again? Uh, yeah, he did it again, which is mind-blowing and, and really did it better in some ways because before he was always an elite hitter, I should say always, he had shown himself to be an elite hitter and a pretty darn good pitcher, but he took a step forward this year and was a true ace, top five or six of the majors and everything. Oh, by the way, the Dodgers won 111 games, tied for the fourth most ever in a single season. They had the largest run differential since the 1939 Yankees. Justin Verlander came back at age 39 after making one appearance in the last two years and led the majors with a 175 ERA. I mean, heck, Mike Trout played less than three quarters of the season, hit 40 home runs, and we're not even talking about that. No one notices that. Add in Albert Pujols, having resurgence, getting to 700. I mean, Paul Goldschmidt was in the hunt for the NL Triple Crown for most of the year. It was like the sixth most impressive thing in baseball this year. Um, This was just an incredible season. And I just want to make sure I, I think we take a step back and fully appreciate it because the caliber of performances we saw this year are not something that come around very often, especially talk about Judge Otani and the Dodgers. Yeah, I think especially when you when you hone in on those stories in particular, um, but it's it's not just the Dodgers even. Um, I think you look at how good the good teams are. The Dodgers just happened to be one of the few teams that really didn't slump throughout the season. Um, Astros kind of, you know, not too far behind that. You know, JJ's discussed it a little bit just in terms of, you know, how many hundred win teams that we had this year. Um, if you're honing in on the right performances, and I, I do think there's some um, a rather large variance between the good and the bad <laughs> at this point in MLB. Definitely. Um, more so than might have been at any point in time since maybe like the 1960s or something when, you know, it was just things were different in terms of, you know, how teams were run and, and built, et cetera. Um, but I think you hone in on how good the good players are right now, the type of seasons that we witnessed and just, you know, having been someone who, you know, was 16 years old, was getting my license. I can remember where I was when McGuire broke the single season home run record and just the chase between him and Sosa and just all the, 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 the passion from baseball fans at that point in time and interest, I think, from fringe baseball fans and folks like my parents who weren't even baseball fans but were tuning in every night to watch that. To get that back a little bit with the judge 
chase over the last week or two, the discussion around it, um, <laughs> the debate around it, because there's always been debate around these home run records dating back to certainly Roger Maris. And you can go even further back and some discussions of the baseball when Babe Ruth hit 60. Um, if you really dig in on the on the on the, the clips, some folks have done the work and actually put that out there. But I think that's good when there is discussion and debate around baseball. It is a good thing. It's good for the game. It's good for the health of the game. And I think, you know, let's take a, another step back here, Kyle. Coming from the offseason we've had in the last really two or three years that we've had and just all the uncertainty with the cheating scandal with the Astros, the shutdown, the fact that it, they dragged their feet so long in terms of getting that season up and running during the shutdown when really they had the perfect runway uh, for you know the public to watch it and get fall in love with baseball again. And they kind of boggled it a little bit. And we saw all you know the, the labor strife and everything else. Just as a baseball fan, it's nice to get back to having this, you know, discussing the product on the field and discussing great achievements and potentially great players all time. So, you know, this is a season that I'll remember the same way that I did remember the 98 season or as a, you know, someone who grew up in Massachusetts and at that point was a, a diehard Red Sox fan, 2004, you know, um, I think there's landmark seasons like that, you know, the Cubs winning, it's just those sort of things sort of transcend even the day-to-day the -day of baseball. And I think when you look back on it, you remember it fondly and are like, hey, I lived through that. And we we had a season like that. We should be appreciative of that. Yeah, again, I'm big on appreciate greatness when you see it. I think especially today, the move world so quickly and there's so many things pulling people's attention in so many different directions. It's important to take a step back. And you're right, especially after an off season where there was a lockout and the season was delayed. And it was just another long line of things Major League Baseball did that was just self-sabotaging to their product and um, seeing the performances on the field this year again it doesn't erase the real issues that exist in the game but I think you can appreciate what took place this year and I think it's important that we do because um, these were truly some remarkable seasons on so many different levels and, and you're right I just listed kind of the top ones there's a dozen more you can list they're just kind of mind-blowing in different ways and with that there is kind of a subsection here. So we talked about, again, all these guys and teams in some ways are old standbys, Judge, Otani, Verlander, Trout, Goldschmidt, Pujols. These guys have been, you know, stars of the game for years and years and years. The other aspect that was really remarkable this year was the 2022 rookie class. Um, I've been putting together our all rookie teams since I started here at BA, a lot of our rookie of the year award write-ups and putting together this year's team was probably the most difficult of my tenure here at VA, simply because this year's rookie class was remarkably strong. Again, I'm just going to put some things in a historical perspective here. I mean, Julio Rodriguez became the fastest rookie ever to 25 homers and 25 steals. Beat Mike Trout's record. We all know what Trout's standing in the game is. Spencer Strider was the fastest pitcher ever to 200 strikeouts, beating Randy Johnson's record. But not just for rookies, like period, ever, any pitcher ever. Spencer Strider took that record. Reed Detmers threw a no-hitter. Uh, George Kirby had, you know, set a record for most strikes to start a game. Stephen Kwan went 116 pitches without swinging and missing. Michael Harris came up and energized the Braves. Adley Rutschman came up and immediately was one of the best catchers in Major League Baseball for the Orioles and helped turn them around. Um, this was an incredibly impactful rookie class on so many levels. And again, I go back to, uh, it really was amazing. You know, Bobby Witt Jr. had a 20-homer, 30-stole base season. It was what, like the fifth most impressive rookie season behind, I mean, J-Rod, Rutschman, Strider, and Harris, I think probably are the top four. Yeah. I mean, it just puts in perspective again, what an exceptional 
rookie class this was within the context of an exceptionally special major league season in terms of just great performances. Yeah. And I think the other thing that you can sort of um, take away from this in terms of the, the rookie performances is not only did we sort of get, you know, this great feature length movie uh, all throughout the season with a, a J rod. And then, you know, Harris comes up, Strider comes from sort of that bullpen piece that we knew was really good and could be an important part of the Braves this year to a starter that I don't think any of us anticipated, even the folks that probably drafted them. Um, great storylines there. But then at the end, it was almost like, you know, the end of the Back to the Future 2 movie where like they they started previewing, you know, Back to the Future 3. We got Corbin Carroll, we got Gunnar Henderson and other rookies that there's so much to be excited about, I think, toward next year's rookie class even when we've seen the impact that some of those guys have had. And I don't know about you, but I found myself much more interested in tuning into Diamondbacks games over the last month, simply because Carroll was a really exciting player. And even some of their young core uh, outside of Carroll has been coming together a little bit over the last month or two. So um, I think that's really exciting too. It's like, we even have this preview of what it could be in the future, but just staying here in the moment, I think you, you, you really summarized it really well. There's not much more I can add. We know how what great uh, Julio Rodriguez was really from beginning to end. Uh, you know, with a big homer yesterday. Um, and then, you know, Harris stepping in and doing what he did as somebody who was really high on Michael Harris and um, was a big advocate, you know, when we were making the top 100 list, um, you know, early in the season, I never anticipated that Michael Harris would come up and, you know, produce a, a five war season, um, you know, missing the first two months of the year, more or less. It's, it's pretty remarkable um, when you look at what Harris has done and, you know, how much he's almost sort of um, overachieved in comparison to how good we thought he was. And we thought he was easily a top 50 prospect in the game. Um, I think that speaks volumes about the future of the game here. And I think in that, in some sense is kind of big picture. We saw some things shifting and evolving and changing within baseball Um in the immediacy in terms of how pitchers throw and guys hit. But I think also in terms of the mechanics and the mechanisms around the game, the draft, maybe the international draft changing, um, you know, some of the improvements in terms of minor league housing, all that sort of thing. So uh, I think the future of the game is strong. And, and this rookie class is kind of, uh, um, you know, the, the North star where everything kind of falls behind it. A lot of veteran talent was a lot of rookie talent. Again, there are some real issues within the game of baseball and you shouldn't paper over them and shouldn't, Forget about them just because of what's happening on the field. You don't want to ignore the real serious issues beneath the surface. But the talent on the field is not one of them. And, and again, there's certainly some aspects of the game that aesthetically have, have caused some consternation. And we're going to see a lot of rules changes next year as such. Uh, but I do think it's important, again, just looking at the players on the field, what they're able to accomplish um, it really has been remarkable in so many ways. Again, it's the energy they provide. I mean, Julio Rodriguez, as I wrote today in our Rookie of the Year story that went up, I mean, really was the catalyst for the Mariners getting back to the postseason and ending the longest playoff drought in North American professional sports. Michael Harris, I mean, Jeff, you and I talked about this back when we did kind of our quarter pole season podcast. The Braves were in a bad spot. Center field was a massive hole in one of the real, real issues for them. I mean, Michael Harris came up, and I'm not going to say he single-handedly saved their season. A lot of players contributed. Austin Riley, Dansby Swanson, uh, Max Fried had another great year quietly. But, I mean, 
he really helped change the dynamic of that team, filling one of their biggest roster holes offensively and defensively. I mean, their turnaround more or less got going once he joined the club, and that's not a coincidence. And again, I just go back to, oh, by the way, there's you know this loaded group of arms. Uh, I was talking with uh, Matt Eddy, Matt Eddy, our uh, co-executive editor about this. It's probably the deepest class of rookie starters we've had in a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, again, there, there's just a lot of talent on the field, and it's good to see. Jeff, speaking of old podcasts, I mentioned the quarter poll podcast we did. I owe you an apology. Before the year, you were exceptionally high on the Cleveland Guardians as the potential sleeper team. And you and I had Slack debates about this. You and I had podcast <laughs> debates about this. Again, fun, passionate and fun. It didn't yes. get it, but um, and I was adamant that the offense wasn't there. Um, it was it was gonna be a rough year because they were gonna be giving away too many outs in the lineup. And here we are, as it stands, the Guardians are the champions of the American League Central. Uh, so, hey, I was wrong. Props to you. You called it. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Um, I think it was just like the right mix of, you know, number one, the Twins pitching just not being as good as it needed to be. There being some questions around some players in that lineup in terms of how they all fit together. Um, for me, you know, I did, I did still think that Minnesota would be a pretty good team. Um, and then white, so- the white Sox, I just felt that, you know, from a leadership standpoint, Antonio Russa is an all time great manager. I don't want to take anything away from him, but he was not a good fit for that team. I think we can say that now. Um, and ultimately I, I you know, I, I think that they might've squandered a couple of really good years here. And that was really disappointing, but I felt Cleveland was in a good position because they had pitching, um, well, you know, they, they have their superstar in Jose Ramirez. And I think one of the things that saved this prediction was uh, right before the season, they ended up signing him to a long-term contract as opposed to trading him, which would have changed the face of this conversation, I think, a little bit. Um, but they had a lot of good young depth at, you know, a multitude of positions. They have a deep 40-man roster. They had talented players in the upper minors that were on the cusp of the 40 man. And if a couple of guys didn't work out, um, which they didn't, they were able to cut bait and bring guys up and, you know, onto the roster and and see different players produce. And they're kind of a a funny roster in terms of how they're built because they're not really built on, we'll say, you know, um, the three true outcome, you know, big power. It's, it's a lot of, contact approach toolsy guys that can play a few different positions there's versatility in terms of how they fit in offensively and defensively um and they have a lot of pitching depth they've always had a lot of pitching depth you know um they have good relievers and i think that's one of the reasons that they were able to take advantage of uh, a weak al central um so i think that's that's part of what it was i still don't think they're a world beater not picking them to win, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the AL pennant or anything like that. But um, I think if you're a, a Guardians fan, you certainly have to be appreciative of the type of season that they produced and, you know, what could be coming in the future because they do have some really talented players down there on the farm that could develop into above average regulars and kind of um, give this team another boost. Well, looking back, I mean, again, I'm big on self-reflection. What did you miss? And what I missed and what I didn't put enough stock in is something that we knew to be true that look, the Guardians are really, really smart. They have a really smart front office. And the thing that I kept getting tripped up on was looking at a lineup that was going to have Bradley Zimmer, Bobby Bradley, and Austin Hedges in it every day. Mm-hmm. You're going to be giving away three outs every time through the lineup. Then you had a situation where, you know, obviously 
you were counting on a lot of young guys to step up and they did. But for me, that was going to be the issue. And that was what I pointed out at the time we did our season preview podcast. Well, what did the Guardians do after we did that podcast? They DFA'd Bradley Zimmer before opening day and replaced him with Stephen Kwan, taking a guy who couldn't hit and replaced him with a guy who very much could hit. Mm-hmm. They took Bobby Bradley out of the starting lineup and eventually DFA'd him and replaced him by putting Josh Naylor at first base, which again is where he needed to be. It was not a surprise his offense was going to tick up now that he's no longer playing the outfield a position he never should have been put in in the first place. Get him back to his natural position. You're going to improve your offense because he's just going to be so much better. And you replace the, the roster spot with Owen Miller, who again, even though his numbers weren't great this year, is a guy who can hit. So The Guardians, again, smart front office, they were very clear-eyed and very honest with themselves about, hey, these are our players. They're not good enough. We need to bring better guys in. And a lot of front offices can't do that. They're not clear-eyed about the players they have. And that's something the Guardians are very good at. So immediately you take pretty much your two weakest bats off the team, replace them with guys who really can hit. That changes the entire dynamic of your lineup. Now, instead of giving out three out, giving away three outs every turn through the lineup, you're only really giving away one, which you can get away with in terms of Austin Hedges at the bottom. Um, you know, on top of that, again, there's a lot to be said for how well they developed these guys. Um, again, Ahmed Rosario and Andres Jimenez, look, they were top 100 prospects. They've shown flashes before, uh, but they really took steps forward. And, and you give credit to the coaching staff there. Terry Francona obviously is one of the best in the game. Um, they do a really, really good job, you know, putting guys in positions of of strength and helping guys develop and get better and, and play, you know, good baseball. And that's coaching. Um, so they do a really good job of maximizing the guys they have. So again, it just goes back to it's not just about looking at the roster on paper, because if you have a good front office, that could change at any time. And if you have a good coaching staff, you're gonna get more from those guys than maybe some other teams that might look better on paper, but don't have, you know, the ability to get the most from them. So um, give the Guardians credit. I, I thought they did the right thing, you know, swapping out guys who couldn't hit for guys who could hit. And then Terry Francona and his staff, you know, did what they always do and, and get the most from guys. In terms of biggest disappointment, you mentioned the White Sox. Um, that's the biggest disappointment to me. Um, I didn't pick them to reach the World Series or anything, but I thought the AL Central was was theirs for the taking. And, you know, there were a lot of leadership issues. There's There's no question that has come out. But even within that, there's a combination of, you know, a lot of injuries, a lot of key guys got hurt yet again. And, you know, this defense, even in 2021, when they won the division, this was a team that threw the ball around. I mean, you watched them, it, it got pretty ugly at times, especially in the corner outfield spots. Um, but even on, on the infield, I mean, it, it wasn't pretty. And there were just way too many times last year that, and then especially this year where you look up and especially once injuries started to hit, you know, any given day, the White Sox would have, four you know you could argue five guys really first base dh types playing the field i mean mm-hmm. andrew vaughn aloy jimenez jose abreu uh, jake berger all those guys should be first base dh types and they weren't that they were being asked to play the corner outfield in a lot of spots um, you added injuries um, you know poor performance from the pitching staff i mean you know i remember you you had lucas giolito as your you know cyung award pick before the season and it wasn't a crazy pick and his era was just a tick under five um, you know, Dylan Cease took a step forward and he was great, but uh, it's just a team where, where the pieces didn't really fit. You added, you know, the leadership issues that were exposed and injuries, um, you know, they finished 81 and 81. And there were so many times where you heard, oh, okay, you know, they have this team meeting, especially when Miguel Cairo took over, you know, you know, they're going to go out and play inspired baseball. They do it for two or three days, then they would inevitably fall back. Um, 
I think to me, this was the most disappointing team just because there was a lot of potential here. You know, again, we saw it last year. They won the division and nothing moved in a positive direction. And, and that's why they are where they are, a 500 team. Yeah, I, man, Giolito, too, is is one that you, you would think somebody like this, like coming into the prime of his career, I believe he's in a contract year as well. Um, I mean, he's he's among probably the most disappointing players. I think, you know, there was some some bad luck in his side. Like you said, I don't think, uh, you know, he necessarily had premier defense or anything close to it behind him. And no. sometimes that, that – <laughs> no. You know, and pitchers will tell you that could certainly snowball very quickly um, when you think you should be getting out in an inning or getting out of different innings and you don't get out of those innings. You have to make extra pitches. It's very different. So um, I think, you know, the way I look at the White Sox is as if they're almost built like a fantasy baseball team. Like these guys on paper, they can all hit, you know, we can we can blend all their averages together and they're they're, you know, add up their home run totals and like, wow, they're going to kill these categories. But in actual practice, it just doesn't function as a baseball team because you need to be able to play defense. You need to be able to execute defensively from game to game consistently. Um, and that's, you know, not just in the outfield and the infield, I think behind the plate and, uh, you know, just in terms of how you run the bases, all those things. And they just, they're not a disciplined baseball team. Um, and they haven't been over the last several years. I think one of the most concerning developments, um, you know, Yon Moncada has really not been the same since he came down with COVID in 2020. And he talked about this with, you know, reporters at the time that, you know, it hit him pretty hard and he wasn't feeling the same physically. You go back to 2019, I mean, that looked like his breakout year. He looked great. I mean, he had over 300, 25 homers, 80 RB, 79 RBIs. Uh, I mean, this was the, okay, now we're going to start seeing the guy who, you know, was considered the number one prospect in baseball, the guy who got $62.5 million out of Cuba. And then, you know, COVID hit and, and it hit everyone differently. And then he talked about how, how much it affected him. And these last three seasons have just not been good um, and by any measure. I mean, he was okay in 2021, but it still was not what you would have hoped for or expected out of, out of him in his age 26 season. I mean, Again, first and foremost, you know, beyond baseball, it, you know, whatever guys, you know, long-term health is is most important. Um, it's 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 been a concerning three-year run here, and, and you add in all the other issues. Um, I mean, they need him to to really get back to what he was because I mean, when he's right, if he can go back to being who he showed he could be as a prospect and in 2019, it's an entirely different caliber of player. Um, and, and again, it's not all on him. A lot of guys need to play better, but. He's the guy I look at, you know, age 28 season next year. Um, if if he can get back to, to being the guy he has shown himself capable of being, that will help. But that's one of the things that just stands out to me is, is the last three years post-COVID. It's, it's been a struggle. Um, Jeff, I, I mentioned my surprise team, but your surprise team was one that I don't think anyone saw coming. Um, the Orioles finishing above 500 for the first time since 2016. Mm. Um yeah, I, I I'll actually want to jump in here because so if you had told me before the season that with all the position player talent they had coming up and, you know, that John Beads and Grayson Rodriguez were holding down the forward enough in the rotation that they were able to get around 500, I'd be like, OK, yeah, I, I could kind of see it. I wouldn't have picked it, but I would have thought you were crazy. 
The fact that they did this with John Means going down top with Tommy John surgery and Grayson Rodriguez not pitching a single inning in the major leagues. If you had told me the Orioles would finish above 500 without those two guys being a part of the team, I would have told you you're a homer, you're insane, you're absolutely crazy. There's no way they have the pitching for that. The fact that they did this without those two guys playing any significant role in the starting rotation, that to me is the most remarkable thing and the thing that that really makes it the the biggest surprise in baseball in a lot of ways. Yeah, and um, I think it is the biggest surprise in baseball. And and I'm somebody who's been um, fairly optimistic around their build and their picks and just their strategy in terms of the types of players that they target, particularly on the hitting side. Um, I think some of that has shown well, but you take a look at this season and it, it's sort of remarkable because like Cedric Mullins had a really good year. Ago. He took a step back a little bit too. Um, offensively, they're not a standout team. Um, but what they did is they, they, they did the sort of the small things on the fringes that the White Sox don't do. They play really good defense. Jorge Mateo, who was a long, highly touted prospect across a few systems that I had very little belief in um, just personally. I think everyone had very little belief. Yeah. In <laughs> um, there are a few evaluators out there that I've spoken with. that are still with teams that uh, had very positive things to say about Mateo when he was with the Padres and thought he would be an everyday shortstop at the major league level. And lo and behold, that evaluator was right. Um, he's a really good defensive shortstop. I watched a lot of Orioles games this year. Don't really watch many Red Sox games because I'm blacked out. I like the MLB, MLB app. So I stick on that because I can bounce around to a few different games. But Mateo is a, a standout defensive shortstop. Um, Ramon Urias played pretty well in the infield when he when he was there. Um, Rudin Odor is a pretty good second baseman. Um, and then like their young players, it, it all sort of gelled at the right times. Um, but the biggest thing that the Orioles have developed is a really good bullpen. And having done the system throughout the year, they have a pipeline of, you know, four or five guys, not necessarily, you know, the highly touted guys, some guys that probably won't even uh, make their top 30 because of how deep the system is, but they they've identified some guys in the fringes that have particular traits that they can develop. And I think that's where the Orioles have sort of won is, you know, the 40 man roster moves over the last couple of years when a guy gets DFA'd and they think he's better than someone at the bottom of their roster They've been able to turn some of those guys over, identify players that their player development um, gels with. And they've had some some pretty big wins over the last year, I think, just even outside of Rushman and Gunnar Henderson and, and some of the more highly touted prospects. It's just interesting to watch when you see a, a Felix Batista really turn into potentially one of the better relievers in the game going forward over the next couple of years. If you look at what he was able to do this year, so much so that they were, they were able to trade away uh, – their all-star closer at the deadline and kind of not miss a beat. Yeah. Another example of this to me is Tyler Wells, rule five pick, put him in the bullpen, does okay there. And they move him to the rotation and he was solid. I mean, again, you know, wasn't blowing anyone away, but you know, you got a solid number four ish type starter out of a rule five pick. You move from the bullpen. That's, that's a win. And um, you know, again, we saw Dean Kramer take a step forward and, and the defensive aspect of this you mentioned is important because you look at this Orioles rotation in particular, they don't miss many bats. None of their guys, they're, they're six starters who made the most starts this year. None of them averaged over a strikeout inning. All of them were, were pretty fairly under it, but they pitched their strengths. They had a good defense behind them. They let them work and 
that's a formula for success. You know, it's it's a lot of people obsess over K per nine numbers. And again, you certainly want to have stuff to put guys away, but it's also about pitching to your strengths and pitching to the team behind you. If you have a great defense behind you, you can let them work. And if you have a great bullpen behind you, just do your job for five or six innings and hand it off. If you buy into that, you're going to have success. Um, and the Orioles did a good job with that. So I'll be curious to see what steps forward they can take next year, because in theory, you should add Grayson Rodriguez. Um, you know, Meads obviously has, has a long recovery still ahead of him, but when he's healthy, he's been excellent. So they're an interesting team for sure. I'll be curious to see what they what they look like moving forward and if they can kind of move their way up the AL East a little bit. It's not going to be easy. Yankees, Rays, Blue Jays, but um, have a winning record this year was was really, really impressive. Uh, Jeff, before we wrap up, before we head to the break here, um, I do want to, you know, just touch base with you on what. When you look back, I mean, we've talked about so many things this season, the good, the bad, the surprises, the history. What is the thing you will remember most from this 2022 Major League Baseball season? Yeah, I think it's what we talked about before. I think it's the Judge Otani debate and having um, these two incredible seasons that on their own, I think, would be incredibly memorable. But having those coincide... um, is what I'll remember most. And, you know, when I think about 1998, I remember McGuire, Sosa and Ken Griffey. I mean, that was a big part of that season was actually the, the three-man race until Griffey had gotten injured. But um, yeah, I think, you know, when you have seasons like this where, you know, the all-time greats, at least from your generation, whatever, um, are at their greatest point, it, it's tough not to remember that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, it's funny you mentioned uh, you know the all-time greats performing at their greatest point. I, the thing that I'm going to remember, you know, most of all, is Albert Pujols' resurgence. Um, you know, you and I are are old enough, and we remember Albert Pujols from 2001 through 2011 in St. Louis. I mean, it was unbelievable how good this guy was. And then, you know, everything that happened with the Angels. It was first couple years there. It wasn't what he was, but it wasn't terrible. He had a 40 home run season in there, helped him win division title. He was, he was, he was okay. But the five years before this one, 2017 through 2021, I mean, it was, it was hard to watch. It was, it was really, really painful. I'm not a big war guy, but, but this just does kind of put it in perspective. There were 316 players, eligible players uh, in terms of getting enough at bats. 2017 to 2021, Albert Pujols ranked 314th out of 316 in war. I mean, he was one of the three or four worst players in baseball for the last five years from any vantage point. And not just statistically, you watched it. I mean, it was, it was sad. You know, Albert Pujols went from one of the greatest players of all time to you know, the archetype of the guy who just held on to long. I mean, it was it was really, really sad to watch. And even in his, you know, quote unquote resurgence with the Dodgers last year, he still had a 299 on base percentage. I mean, it became more of a narrative. He had some big homer that hit for some power and he personally was energized, but it was not like he went there and all of a sudden he he took off and was a great player again. It was yeah. he was just less bad than what he'd been with the Angels. Um you know, when he signed with the Cardinals this year, it was very much a feel-good, you know, sentimental thing. Oh, cool, finishes last year with the Cardinals. I mean, there was no reason to think he'd be a positive contributor. And he completely rewrote the end of his story. I mean, his story before this was an amazing player who held on too long. That was going to be Albert Pujols' legacy. And he has completely changed that with what he did this year. 
gagged to 700 home runs. I mean, at age 42, the guy hit 270 with 24 homers and 68 RBIs while hitting in the middle of the lineup for an NL Central Division Championship team and played his way into an everyday role. When he started the year, it was that platoon lefty masher. He's playing every day for them. And again, the split's still pretty stark left-right, but he's in the lineup. He is an everyday player in the middle of this lineup and an impact one. And, you know, the celebration around 700, it was incredible. And he's worth, you know, he's he deserves every bit of that. But to me, it's even beyond that. I mean, I will remember, again, obviously, I'm going to remember Aaron Judge hitting 62 homers and almost winning a triple crown. I'm absolutely going to remember Shohei Otani showing that, yes, he could do this again and only do it again, get better and become a true ace while also being a ability order slugger. Um, you know, I'll remember Julio Rodriguez, the impact he had in helping Seattle get back to the postseason. Of course, that's always going to stick out. But I think for me, watching Albert Pujols rewrite the end of his story has been one of the coolest and most remarkable events of the 2022 season. If you had told me before the year, look, our preseason podcast, I picked Aaron Judge to be the AL MVP. I didn't think he'd break the American League home run record, but it's not a surprise that he had a superstar year. Shohei Otani is the rate was the reigning AL MVP. It's not a shock that he had this unbelievable year. Julio Rodriguez was you know, our number two prospect in baseball coming into the year. It's not a shock that he was a star. Justin Verlander, one of the best pitchers of our generation. It's not a shock that he was great. Albert Pujols doing what he did this year was shocking. I mean, again, visually, statistically, however you want to say it, he was one of the worst players in baseball for the last five years. Not one year, not two years, five years. And for him to come out like he did this year with the Cardinals and rewrite the end of his story and get to 700, that to me is the most shocking and remarkable thing that happened this season. Well said. I don't. I don't think I can even. <laughs> I can't even add anything else onto that because I think you you summarized it perfectly. And uh, we need to remember just you know how great Albert Pujols was. I mean, this was, if not the greatest right-handed hitter of all time, um, he's the greatest right-handed hitter of all time prior to Mike Trout. So, um, however you want to throw that out there, um, I think that you know it was him and Manny Ramirez, and then he so surpassed Manny Ramirez even p- prior. To the steroid stuff and i think people forget just how good he was i mean he was uh, a, a titan in terms of how great he was offensively in an era where there were some great offensive players at the beginning they're now in the hall of fame um and then some other contemporaries like miguel cabrera um you know who was another great hitter but was never on par with albert Pujols, in my opinion truly on par with Albert Pujols. All right. Well, we have spent 40 minutes just talking about the 2022 season. In my head, we're going to do 20 minutes on that and 20 minutes on the playoffs. But uh, we're going to have a whole other full 40-minute segment breaking down the 2022 postseason after the break. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. 
when everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. All right, we're back. I'm Kyle Glazer, joined by Jeff Pods. We've recapped the 2022 Major League season that was, and now we're going to look ahead to the 2022 postseason with World Series picks, potential surprise teams, all the things we expect to happen that inevitably will not happen. But it's fun to make the predictions anyway. Jeff, I want to start with just the wild card series kind of in a vacuum. Uh, it's the first year of this best of three wild card series in its current format. We got a little bit of a taste of it in 2020, but it was different because that was a 16 team field as opposed to a 12 team field. How do you think that the addition of this round will fundamentally change postseason outcomes, or do you think it won't have as much of an effect as people think it will? Hmm. Sorry to surprise you with a big picture question right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of need to think about this. I'm interested in what your take is on it, honestly. Um, well, I heard just stalling. No, um, <laughs> I, I think for me, look, logically, it's going to make it much, much, much harder for any team that plays in this wild card round to get to the World Series. You're playing more games. You're not going to be, for the most part, able to enter the, the division series with your rotation lined up the way you want. Um, in theory, this should skew things much more heavily toward the teams that finish with one of the top two records in baseball. And ultimately, I, I do think, generally speaking, it's a good thing when the teams who were the best teams over 162 games are rewarded and, and more or less are the teams that end up in at least the championship series, especially the World Series. But, you know, there's been so many times where, you know, even the addition of just you know, the one game wild card play in, if you will, is essentially a play in game, even though if they want to call it that, uh, was supposed to fundamentally change things. And we still saw teams be able to go on runs, go deep into the postseason. Um, so again, I, at the end of the day, if you're winning, you know, 90 ish games over 162, you're a really good team. You have depth, you have a lot of talent, you have good coaching, you play clean baseball, you can't fake your way there for the most part. So I, I do expect it to be an advantage where we start seeing more of the teams who don't have to play this opening round get to the World Series and fewer wild card entrants, or in this case now, um, third place division winner entrants. But I also wouldn't be shocked if it doesn't have the same magnitude of effect that maybe you might think it would just thinking through it. So I had discussed this, I think, yesterday, the day before with JJ, and I kind of wonder if there's a chaos element to this. <laughs> we see it sometimes with football where teams playing that extra series and not taking any time off when baseball, particularly hitting, is 
such like a groove sport where you have to sort of have those reps and be as sharp as possible. Rhythm and timing, rhythm and timing, always. Yeah, and it doesn't necessarily work against you that I actually kind of wonder if we see some of these super teams maybe come out flat for a game or two. And if you're a team like the Mets, for example, who was every bit as good as just about every other team in baseball, you know, games here, things break one way or the other. They were a very good team, obviously. Things could break for them where they're just hot. They catch somebody sleeping for a couple of games and in the back end of the series, they're able to roll the races out. Like there's just a certain way that I could see this working out. And I don't think it's always going to be the case because the discrepancy in uh, talent and ability might be pretty varied. The really good teams are all really good this year. And I think that's one of the things we'll talk about in this podcast. I could see things shaking out where we don't have a Houston and a Dodgers World Series and, and maybe neither of them make it. And, you know, I think sometimes that chaos element in the playoffs is just so illogical that you can't really apply any logic to it. And it's just a matter of how circumstances, you know, fall into place. Um, I think we could think about teams that made runs to the championship that never should have been a, a championship caliber team, teams that have won pennants that never should have, you know, won a pennant. Um, oh, absolutely. I think in some cases yeah. the road was easier because they were playing the same number of games as all the other teams. And sure, I will say, I think some of my perspective might be skewed by the fact, you know, 2020 shortened season, a lot of pitchers weren't built up and 2021, again, coming off that shortened season, mm-hmm. teams were out of arms. I mean, the Dodgers were more or less out of arms at the end of the NLCS. I mean, we saw the Astros and, and Braves throwing bullpen games in the World Series because they just didn't have any arms that were healthy they could trust at a certain point so you know there's a little bit of just you know pitcher stamina here that i think will be a significant advantage to the teams who don't do get this time off that all said hey man i grew up in san diego as a charter season ticket holder you don't have to tell me about teams coming out flat after bye weeks when they have one or two seeds and getting beat by inferior teams i was in the stands in 06 well 06 season they game took place January 07 where the Patriots beat the 14 and two chargers. I was in the stands when in 09 again, January, 2010, when the jets beat the the chargers. So yeah, no, um, I'm very, very familiar with that. I'll see different sport, different dynamic, but you're right. There's yeah. definitely an element here of, you know, again, maybe the teams that have this time off their pitching is a little bit better shape, but the teams who are still playing their hitters, the rhythm and timing is there. And most teams for the most part haven't had, you know, you think about a team like the Dodgers, they're going to go Wednesday to Tuesday without playing. No team has had a six-game break. The All-Star game break isn't six isn't six days. This is the longest, quote-unquote, in-season break any of these teams are going to see all year. Yeah. And I think, you know, you, you, you might get somebody, like I think back to, um, was it uh, the, um, was it, what year was it the Rockies made the World Series? Was that 2007, 2007, 2007 when okay. they, they had a one-game playoff against the yes. Padres? Speak of San Diego sports chokes. Uh, one game sorry. Playoff, they had this huge, <laughs> you know, incredible second-half run. Yeah. The, the one-game playoff. And then, yeah, steamrolled the way of the World Series. I mean, I remember... You know, and the Red Sox and 04 were, were a wild-card team as well. I mean, I think sometimes you can get a team like that that if they are believing in themselves, they're hot, playing that extra series may not have as much of an impact because, you know, they may catch a sleeping giant, like literally sleeping for two games. Um, You know, I think back to like the Red Sox and the Tigers in that series. I don't know if you remember when the Red Sox won that series, they shouldn't have won it. Um, 2013 you're talking about? Yes. When the Tigers were absolutely loaded. One of the best rotations, you know, in history, probably. Um, And 
the Red Sox like just didn't hit for two or three games. They got really, really lucky. And then, you know, things kind of like finally shook out. But I can remember at one point they were, you know, they were batting like a hundred in the series over the first two games. Um, and it worked out, but I think there could be some teams where, you know, they get caught sleeping like that, where the bats are asleep. They have a long layoff and you never know. That's why playoffs are fun. So as we enter the wild card series here, Jeff, which of the four series are you going to be most intrigued to watch? Yeah. You know, um, this was probably the toughest question <laughs> of any that we've asked on either of these podcasts. Um, for me, Mariners, Blue Jays, I just think uh, really young, exciting cores. Um, it's cool to see a big series with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and, and Bo Bichette, who I covered and saw a ton of up here in New Hampshire, but also Alec Manoa, another player that I saw come up, um, you know, as an amateur, even through Cape Cod. And then on the other side, you have that Mariners team, everything that they've built up over the last couple of years, uh, and Julio Rodriguez. I mean, Julio versus Vlad, come on. It's like every time you turn, you tune in, no matter, you know, who's up to bat, there's potentially, you know, a guy that can, can really change the game with one swing of the bat. And then the other thing I'll add in is there's pretty good pitching matchups in this series. You yep. know, um, you're starting out with Luis Castillo and Alec Manoa right off the bat in game one. And, you know, you can go right through, uh, you know, the rest of the setups um, over the next couple of games. But I think that is exciting as a series as you're going to get just from, uh, really good lineups, good, young, exciting teams with championship aspirations. Maybe the Blue Jays a little bit more than the Mariners at this point, but also really good pitching staffs and teams that could be here for a couple of years. You know, I'm glad you bring up the Mariners pitching staff because, you know, this was a team that in so many ways was defined by how many crazy wild walk-off wins they had this year. And so I think a lot of people, when they think of the Mariners, they think about the offense and, you know, all the guys they have with J-Rod and Ty France. A lot of people, I don't know if they fully appreciate the strength of this Mariners team is not their offense. It's their pitching staff. Um, mm -hmm. This is a team that had, you know, finished eighth in the majors in ERA this year. I mean, you go down, look at this rotation. You look at Luis Castillo. You look at George Kirby. You look at Logan Gilbert, Marco Gonzalez. And oh, by the way, Robbie Ray, the reigning AL Society Award winner. I mean, this is a really, really, really good rotation with a really good bullpen. They've kind of cobbled together guys like Paul Seawald, Eric Swanson, Penn Murphy, who were, you know, underappreciated and, and became really good players. And Andres Moody mm -hmm. is at the back. Like you said, you match that up with some of the arms the Blue Jays can roll out there in the rotation and bullpen. Um, it's going to be a really, really fun series. The series for me that I'm going to be most excited to see is, is the Potters-Mets. Um, and that, again, you talk about pitching rotations. Holy heck. I mean, Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom, theoretically, games one and two, they, they're being coy about when they're going to use DeGrom, but they don't need to overthink this and just throw him in game two. Um, again, I, I don't – maybe, you know, I'm out here on the West Coast, so – I see it and, you know, I'm aware of it every day. I don't know if people elsewhere are aware of it every day, but how good this Padres rotation has been, particularly recently, just running through it. Joe Musgrove's about one run in his last four starts. Hugh Darvish had a 1.85 ERA in September. Blake Snell's had a 2.19 ERA since the All-Star break. I mean, you talk about three-headed monsters in the rotation. Right now, the Padres probably line up with anybody in baseball. And then the other thing that's going to be really interesting to me to see is, you know, I mentioned Jacob DeGrom. He hasn't been Jacob DeGrom recently. He's allowed three or more runs in each of his last four starts. And one of those was against the Braves, but it's not like he was facing, you know, a bunch of great lineups here. It was against the Cubs. It was against the Pirates. It was against the A's. Jacob DeGrom's ERA in his last four starts is six. So 
I think on paper, you look at it and see a Mets team that won 101 games. They're going to be at home. You line up Scherzer, DeGraw, and you're like, oh, yeah, they got this. I think it's going to be a very, very tight, tense, fun series with just how many good arms are out there. And I would be really curious to see if Jacob DeGraw can get it back because this version of Jacob DeGraw has been beatable over the last four starts. And with the way the Potters have been pitching, that puts them in a pretty good spot if he's not, you know, the Jacob DeGraw we know he is and can be. Yeah. And uh, I think we've learned over the years that um, regular season aces don't necessarily translate to postseason aces all the time. I don't know if there's any logic for that, but uh, you don't have to look any further than, than Clayton Kershaw. Um, I remember throughout my, my days as a Red Sox fan when I was younger, you know, it was always Kurt Schilling and not Pedro Martinez who came up big in big spots. So um, there's some of that you can't quantify either. So who knows? You know, I hope that DeGrom and Scherzer shove and have memorable performances, uh, but I don't think either of them are completely unbeatable. Uh, especially against playoff rosters. Things change, man. These teams are here for a reason. All these teams at this point, for the most part, are above average to, you know, plus major league offensive lineups. They're here for a reason. They can produce long runs. So um, we'll see. All right. So my wild card series picks, I'm going to go Padres, Mariners, Guardians, Cardinals. Who you got? All right. Um, all right. So I'm going to go raise on this one. Cause I picked the Rays and I picked the Mets to face each other in the world series before the season. So I'm just, my, my only rooting interest at this point is just trying to be right. So I'm going to root for the Rays and the Mets. Hey, at least I'm honest. Um, I'm going to go with the Cardinals over the Phillies, uh, blue Jays over the Mariners and, uh, Mets over the Padres. But I, I do agree. I think that could be a phenomenal series as well. And keep in mind, we're talking about three-game series. Anything can happen. I, I Well, best of three-game series, so in some cases, you know, two games. Uh, I think it's really important to note that, you know, no prediction, especially in this regard, should be taken overly seriously. I mean, it's such, you know, anything can happen in, in two games or three games. Mm-hmm. In terms of the big-picture postseason, Jeff, you know, you mentioned rooting interest. Uh, before the year, I, I picked the Blue Jays-Dodgers World Series, and I could see it happening still. Who is your World Series pick and why? So um, because of the chaos and because I'm a, I'm a big believer when it comes to the playoffs with vibes, very, very much like a hippie with a flow here. I'm going with the vibes, Kyle, but I'm feeling the Cardinals vibes right now. We got pool hosts, Yachty, Wainwright. I feel like it's one of those magical potential runs, you know? Um, hey, you never know. I mean, Ben Roethlisberger won a playoff game last year and he probably shouldn't have, right? So... <laughs> I don't know. I feel like they've been a good team all year. I think they're really good defensively Uh, in the infield. You have guys like Goldschmidt and Arenado who both have had tremendous years, like some of their best years. Once again, talking about guys are getting lost in the shuffle. I know we mentioned Goldschmidt before. Arenado had a really good year offensively and he made, he's every bit the great defender that he was. If he's not the best defensive third baseman in baseball, which I know we talked about that a little bit last week offline. Uh, in the Slack chat. And then, you know, they're pitching while it's not going to blow you away. And honestly, there's a like Jose Quintano game one is a little scary. They've done this before. It's like they, they, 
it's that Cardinals devil magic thing. It's like all the, they, 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 they operate so well on the margins and, you know, the catching, the defense, the execution, just all that sort of stuff, the way the pieces all roll together. Um, I don't know. I'm going to go with the Cardinals, man. You know, they, they had to beat off some teams. They, they played really well down the stretch. Um, I think they might have a little magic in the tank and how cool would it be to cap off this great season with Albert Pujols walking off into the sunset with another World Series trophy? Yeah, I mean, look, they're a really, really um, interesting team. I think the thing I'm watching for is we've seen this offense disappear at times, and that's one thing that I'm going to be watching is this has been, you know, an offense that is very dependent um, at times on, you know, if, if their top guys are going. So if even one or two of them starts to slump a little bit, um, a lot of the young guys they were counting on this year really did not perform well. So I think for me, the question is, is the lineup depth a little bit? But again, as you said, the Cardinals have a, a, a long, long history of, of you know, performing well, both the regular season and the postseason. And while I, I can't say I look at this team and say, oh, yeah, this is a World Series team, um, I think anyone who just dismisses the Cardinals out of hand is, is probably um, not going to turn out to be on the winning end of that very often. So um, they're a good team. You know, the team to me that I'm, I'm looking at here um, again, before the season, I had a Blue Jays Dodgers World Series. Um, but if I'm just you know, intellectually being honest about what I think will happen, knowing the information we know today, I'm looking at the Astros. Uh, you know, it's really interesting. There is obviously a lot of attention this year on the Yankees because Aaron Judge in the home run race and the fact that they actually were playing clean defense for a lot of the year and Garrett Cole had another great year and just so much focus on them. I feel like it almost went unmentioned that, oh, by the way, the Astros were the best team in the American League this year, not the Yankees. They had the best record. Um, and again, they're the ones who are the defending AL champions. They're the ones who have represented the AL in three of the last five World Series. The, the team with the target on their back here is not the Yankees. It's, it's the Astros. They are, again, the reigning American League champions with the best record in the American League. And I think for the Astros, one of the things that that bodes really, really well for them is they're a great team who has a little bit of a, a chip on their shoulder on a couple of levels. Um, and I think, too, with them, I just go back to this starting rotation was mm -hmm. unbelievable this year. I mean, this yeah. you, you talk about who has the best starting rotation in the postseason, you know, top to bottom. It's the Astros and it's not close. I mean, Justin Verlander and Framber Valdez both pitched, you know, award-winning caliber seasons. I mean, Verlander's going to win the Cy Young, and Framber Valdez was one of the, the 10 or so best pitchers in baseball this year. Look at votes. I mean, Jose Urquidy, Luis Garcia, Christian Javier, all these guys have ERAs and, and the threes. In the case of Javier, the twos. I mean, they're not household names, but they're really good. Mm -hmm. And look at this bullpen, too. I mean, again, the, Ryan Stanek, Hector Neris, Phil Maton, you know, Ryan Pressey, Rafael Montero, like all these guys with like Brian Abreu, like again, they're not Hunter Brown. They're really good. And then you add in, oh, by the way, Hunter Brown, just this nasty, nasty dude coming up at the end of the year that you can use in a whole variety of roles. I mean, they're gonna hold down a lot of teams offensively. You know, Jose Altuve very quietly had a bounce back year. He was great again this year. I mean, Jordan Alvarez, if not for, for I mean, Aaron Judge is the best player in the American League this year. Jordan Alvarez is number two as a DH is what he does offensively. I mean, Kyle Tucker had a good year. This lineup, it's dangerous. There's a lot of guys in here who are scary, can do damage. I mean, this is a team who has the talent. They have the managerial you know, edge with Dusty Baker. 
they've been there. They've done it. This isn't scary to them. And now they're going to, you know, have home field throughout. Um, this is just a really, really good team that that's deep, that's experienced, that's talented. And, and part of the reason I'm picking them, you mentioned kind of a, an Astros Dodgers, you know, what a lot of people think will happen. The Dodgers, to me, I've talked about this a lot, have this really, really, really bad habit of overthinking their pitching in the postseason. They do it every year. They make things needlessly difficult for themselves. In a lot of cases, they burn guys out because they're throwing bullpen games or openers or running through seven guys when they don't have to do that. And by the time they get to the end of the series, guys are not sharp. The way the season has gone for the Dodgers right now, the shape their pitching staff is in with, you know, an unclear number four starter with May coming off injury, Gonson limited to four innings, um, and not really any certainty at the back of their bullpen. This just reeks of a situation where they're just going to overthink something. They're going to they're gonna do something they don't need to do, use a pitcher in a situation they don't need to use them, whether it's burning a starter on his throw day needlessly, as they did last year with Julio Urias, whether it's trying to get fancy with openers and running through way too many arms to get the job done when you don't need to do it. Um, just looking at, at where the Dodgers are, you know, from a roster standpoint, and the health standpoint, and where the strengths and weaknesses of this team are, I, I just think this is this is ripe for the opportunity for them to overthink and, and do something they shouldn't do. And I hope I'm wrong because this is a great team. Again, they want 111 games with Walker Bueller going on the IL, with Cody Bellinger and Max Muncy not having good seasons. I mean, this team is so talented. And if they just play it straight and do what they did to get themselves here, they'll be fine. I've just seen too much over the last five years of them overthinking and, and putting themselves in bad situations with how they manage their starting pitching and, and their bullpen. Um and there's just there's just too many opportunities with the back of the rotation, the back of the bullpen being as unsettled as they are right now for them to to overthink this. That that's my concern with them. Yeah, no, I think that's probably where my concern is too. If I had to, if I had to place you know good money um, and my life depended on it, kind of thing, I probably wouldn't bet on the Cardinals. I probably would bet on the Astros. Um, but there's things about the Dodgers and the Yankees that both scare me. Um, the Rays weren't as good as they've been in the last couple of years, but I think if they get into a series, I think some of that overthinking stuff starts to scare me a little bit. Um, and just like you said, I think sometimes um, the intentions aren't bad, but they often paint themselves into a corner in terms of what their options are. And, you know, um, flexibility is key uh, if you want to be able to win in the, in the baseball playoffs, frankly, you know. Jeff, who's one team that, you know, you've talked about teams can can surprise people, do something crazy. Who's your sleeper team here that no one is picking, forgetting the World Series, but maybe even get to the ALCS, NLCS. Who's a team that you think in this field that can go on a run and surprise people? Huh. Well, I think I probably already said it with the Cardinals, right? A yeah, that's fair. Um, do, you, do you have anyone else that you're a little <laughs> bit intrigued by? Well, so I, I think got, that, to me, to me, there's a very clear team that that checks my boxes, but I want to hear yours first. You know, I was I was going to go over to you and say that it was probably the Padres. Um, you know, you look at Soto clicks a little bit. Some of the guys that haven't necessarily hit as much as we thought they were going to all of a sudden get really hot for a month. The pitching staff is healthy. We have a, f- a focused Blake Snell who's not getting jerked around and finishes that inning. Right. Yes. Um, and Musgrove and some of those guys, I think that's where I would probably go among these, these, cause no one's going to be surprised if the Mets win. Um, and 
I don't think anyone's really surprised the Blue Jays won the pennant. They they were a preseason favorite. They've been really good all year long. Um, and I just don't see the Rays or the Guardians um, or the Mariners being able to, to do it just yet. So, well, just to kind of piggyback off the Padres thing, two developments that have happened that'll be helpful. Josh Hader has fixed himself and gotten back to being dominant. And, you know, you talk about them needing, you know, an offensive force to back up Manny Machado because let's just be frank, Juan Soto has not been good since coming to San Diego. Will Myers, totally forgotten guy, since he came back off the IL in August, has been really, really, really good. So you have a couple guys who maybe weren't performing that are starting to perform. You have a really good starting rotation. You know, again, the, the issue is they would go face the Dodgers and the DS, and, and the Dodgers have their number mentally as well as physically. So um, that'd be tough. But I, I get where you're coming from, and I, I don't think it's a, a bad you know process of logic. I'm actually looking at the Guardians. This is a team that plays base, a brand of baseball that is very, very, very conducive to postseason success. High contact, one through nine, keep the line moving, great starting pitching, and a stable, steady back of the bullpen that will dominate you with Emmanuel Classe at the end of it. Um, you know, Shane Bieber and Tristan McKenzie both had sub three RAs this year, were really good. Cal Quantra, I still think, is one of the most underappreciated pitchers in baseball um yes. a really really good arm and again you look at the back of the bullpen you have so many guys you can turn to you know again you look at what trevor stefan has done you look at what mando classe what he does in the back of the bullpen you have james karenchak nick sandlin's been great and sam hedges i mean all these guys are just really really good um again they play they play the right brand of baseball too offensive a lot of people like to point out every year the statistic of the team who hit more homers while the game but it's an incomplete picture they're painting. Um, I've done this. I've written about it. It's a significantly higher correlation between batting average and postseason success than it is slugging percentage. At the end of the day, you have to do both. You have to hit for average and power to be successful in the postseason. Well, the Guardians certainly aren't going to outslug anyone. They have, again, you know, Miles Straw has not hit particularly well. Um, Austin Hedges, we've talked about, is, is kind of an easy out the bottom of the lineup. But You've got a, a pretty good group of guys, you know, especially one through seven-ish that can get on base, that can put the ball in play, that can't hit for power when they need to. They can do a lot of different things. They're not one-dimensional, and that's what's important. It's an offense that can do a lot of different things, good defensive team, good base running team, really good starting rotation, really good bullpen, and they're going to be managed well. The postseason is where a managerial experience and, and feel for the game, in addition to the analytical data that you have alongside with you, really gets amplified. And, and I think you feel really good about Terry Francona being someone who's who's going to do that well because he has his whole career. So I, I just look at this Guardians team. Could I see them beating the Rays and then upsetting the Yankees? Absolutely. There's no question in my mind that this Guardians team – is capable of doing that. Um, I wouldn't pick them to beat the Astros in the ALCS. But again, I think if you're one of the final four teams in the postseason, that's a pretty darn good accomplishment. And to me, the Guardians are the team that the way that they're built, the way they're managed, the road they have, they're my pick to be kind of the surprise team to maybe go on that kind of a run. Yeah. I think you're right. I think they're the best situational baseball team that's probably still left in the playoffs. And um, they're a team where a lot of those guys run the bases incredibly well. And, you know, we may say Austin Hedges is a hole in the lineup, but I think the other thing that you'll see in the playoffs is 
steady catcher defense is worth its weight in gold in playoff games because those mistakes can be magnified or the ability to limit the damage in a wild pitch or something like that. Those, those mistakes can be magnified in a game and be the difference in the series often. Um, oh gosh, yeah. So, D- defense, defense yeah. as a whole gets magnified in the postseason. I remember a sure. few years ago, uh, yes, Monty Grandal uh, against the Brewers. He was in a bad spot. I mean, yeah. that was that was rough, and we saw a lot with Gary Sanchez and the Yankees. Yep. Yeah, no, I mean, it makes a huge, huge, huge difference. And again, this is this is just a team that look. Could they lose to the Rays? Of course. Could they, you know, go to New York and, and get their brains beaten in? Of course. It, you know, every team here is capable of beating anyone. Uh, but if we're looking for a sleeper, this is just the team that checks the boxes for me. And now we'll see if they can actually pull it off and uh, make us look smart. <laughs> All right, Jeff. Well, uh, any final thoughts here before we wrap up? I, I know I'm excited for the postseason. I've picked the Astros to win. You've picked the Cardinals to win. We'll uh, definitely be uh, checking back at the end to uh, see how right or wrong we were. But any final thoughts here as we get going? No, I'm I'm excited to get it going, and uh, I'm sure that uh, you know the staff here will be checking in and giving our thoughts all throughout the playoffs, as we always do. Yep, we have our daily postseason podcast coming up. I uh, always enjoy doing those, although I will say I am glad we now have someone else on the East Coast who can do them because those nights where I'm covering the postseason and getting up at five a.m. Pacific to record those when I'm getting home at one those those are a little rough after a month of those. <laughs> Uh, we're going to have a ton of postseason coverage. Um, obviously, I'll be covering the postseason for us on site, as I have uh, the last couple of years. JJ, Jeff, and the crew will have a lot of analysis uh, as well of everything going on. So keep it at Baseball America for all the latest. Uh, we've also got daily playoff podcasts coming up. And through all this, we're also working on our uh, top 10 prospects list for the uh, AL and NL East divisions. Those will be coming out soon as well. And again, we've got a lot of great content on the website our MLB player of the year story, our MLB rookie of the year story, our all MLB teams. I will have our all rookie team out on Friday. Um, just it's a great time. This is, this is the fun stuff. I'm looking forward to it. Jeff, I know you're looking forward to it. And uh, like I said, glad to be back on the podcast with you. It'd been way too long, but now that all those features are done and out the window, I'll be back a lot more talking ball, which I know I'm looking forward to. Absolutely, man. Let's get into it. All right, everyone, that'll do it for another Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Jeff Potts, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Have a good one, everybody. not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading to the airport, right? Yep, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now, but I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash i'm downloading the upside app now download the free upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas use promo code car for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank you can cash out anytime right to your bank account paypal or a gift card for amazon and other brands just download the free upside app and use promo code car for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank that's code car 
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.